Holy Spirit, we just really thank you that you're here and that you are going to speak to each of us today. Prepare our hearts, prepare our minds. Help us to put aside anything we think we know, Lord. The Holy Spirit, have your way. We pray for Adrian as he brings the word that he would be bold, clear, and that you would bring freedom for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Mrs. Jackson. Welcome, everyone. Good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles there, you might want to open them up to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. You should have a heading in most Bibles that says the parable of the weeds. And yes, this is a horticultural message. Okay. Um, Look, nearly all of you know, if you knew, you may not know this, but in my past life, and I don't mean that literally, I don't believe in reincarnation. In my past iteration of employment, I was um, an army musician. And uh, one of the things we used to have to do was a lot of parades and ceremonial stuff. And we'd get dressed up in our gear and we'd go all over the state and do all of that sort of stuff. And um, I was a French horn player. But often we didn't use French horns on the march, and so they would put me on side drum, which is where I learned my awesome drumming skills, if you ever want to see them one day, provided everything we do is a march. So um, (laughs) I once heard, this is a complete off-to-the-side thing, but there is a YouTube clip about how to tell the difference is whether music is from the devil or whether it's from God. And uh, if it makes you want to swing your hips, it's from the devil. If it makes you want to march, it's from God. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's irrefutable as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I digress completely and pointlessly. So, um, so we were in uh, Wagga, actually, um, doing this, this parade for something. I don't even remember what it was. But we were, were doing this thing, and so we are all geared up. And some genius had had the idea that um, we, the drummers would look prettier in our red uniforms if we had white gloves on. And, and so they issued us with white nylon gloves. Um, now, if you've ever held a drumstick, you'll know that they're very, very shiny and smooth. And nylon gloves are not known for their gripping quality, okay? So we've got a five-kilometre march we're about to do. We step off, and one of the first... What we used to do was not just play, but we would do stick drill. Have you seen stick drill? You know, up under your nose and clicking sticks with one another. We would do that. Within three paces, whoosh, whoosh. I'm left to walk another five kilometres going... (laughs) Like, just... (laughs) I felt like an absolute idiot. But, to make matters worse, I see the army PR unit ahead and cameras trained on us and they're taking photos. And the army used to have a newspaper because people in the army can read. And it was... On the front page of the newspaper was this parade with an action shot of our band and this idiot. (laughs) To make matters worse, to make matters worse, 10 years later I went back for a reunion and in the band room there's their historical wall of photos. (laughs) Immortalised forever. What's that guy doing? There I am. I had to deny it was me. No, it looks like me. It's not me, though. No. It's kind of a metaphor for my life. Um, you know, it's, it's always the mistakes that kind of make the highlight real, hey? You know? Do you, ever, do you ever feel like that sometimes? Do you ever feel like that it's the stuff that doesn't go right that gets the airtime? Um, or, or, you know, bring it down a little bit, it's, it's the squeaky wheels in your life 
that tend to get all the attention and the energy and the focus and the time. You can do 10 things. Uh, you do nine of them brilliantly, but you do one wrong. And what's the thing you focus on? The one thing that you did wrong. You can invite 50 people to your party, 45 will turn up. You know what you'll be thinking about most of the night? The five people that didn't. You post something on Instagram, 20 of your friends like it, 20 of your friends didn't. What are you thinking about? The 20 of your friends that didn't like that. Your whole life can be going swimmingly. It can be going great. Everything can be falling into line. There's just a couple of things that aren't working out for you. It might be a relationship. It might be something at work. What's the thing that gets all your time and attention and focus? What's the thing you think about the most? What's the thing that's at the forefront of your mind? Those things that aren't necessarily going so well. So what do we tell ourselves when everything is not how we would like it to be? That's what I want to look at this morning. What's a story we tell ourselves when life is not exactly how we either expect it, want it, or hope that it would be. If you have your Bibles there in Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to read this story because Jesus tells a story about this. All right? Jesus told lots of stories. Lots of stories. In fact, there's a bit in the Bible that says he said nothing to them except in parables. It was like you couldn't get a straight answer out of Jesus. You'd ask him a question, he would tell a story. And the reason he did that was because stories are powerful. I mean, facts and figures and propositional truth is great. That's, that's all important. It's all necessary. But that's not the stuff that drives us or shapes us. The stuff that drives us and shapes us are stories. And we all have stories. We all live by stories. We have stories about ourselves that have been fed to us by others. We have our own stories that we've concocted about ourselves. We have stories about how we think the world works and our place in it. We have our stories about the way we think the world should be and our life should be. That's the stuff that actually drives us. That's the operating system. That's the stuff that's humming underneath. And so Jesus used to just lob these grenades into people's narratives, into their their stories, and say, think about it like this. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like this. And the great thing about parables is they're not kind of a one-size-fits-all, nor are they the sort of thing that only has one meaning. They're layered and layered and layered and layered. And, And they have a way of creeping up on us and giving us insight and wisdom as we go along. And so Jesus actually starts to tell these stories to a specific group of people in a specific time and place, a story that he thinks they need to hear. Not only do they need to hear, they need to remember it and they need to dwell on it and they need to think about it because they're going to have to keep telling themselves this story as life goes on. And I would say it's the same for us. We not only need to hear it, it's a story we need to remember it because it's a story we're going to have to keep coming back to and reminding ourselves of and telling ourselves of again and again and again. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, let me put this in context for you, okay? For hundreds of years, the people that Jesus is talking to, the the Jewish people, the Israelites, they have been living under one type of 
military occupation, foreign occupation or impression or another for, for, for ages. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Seleucids, the Greeks, the Egyptians, and now the Romans, okay? They've all been oppressing these people. And in their backstory, in, in their kind of narrative, their story, they've had their prophets for these same centuries saying to them, this is not always going to be the way it is. There is a day coming. The Messiah will come. The kingdom will come. And one day God will act decisively on your behalf and you will no longer be under military oppression. You will no longer be under the oppression of shame um, and fear that you have been living under for all of these years. One day God is going to fix that. And I was thinking about that and I thought, hmm, we've all got our kind of one-day stories, haven't we? We might not call them one-day stories, we might call them when stories or then stories, but they, they are this point in the future somewhere when life is the way we want it to be, when we, the way we think it should be. You know, when there are no more problems at work. Who's looking forward to that? Okay. Uh, when the kids have all got their lives together and behaved and doing exactly what they should do. Okay. <laughs> when all your circumstances and all, you know, the planets are aligned and everything sort of comes and you can take that deep breath and you can relax. We've all kind of got this, it might not be an explicit hope, maybe it's just an implicit hope that one day we're going to get to this place where life is going to be fundamentally better because everything's the way it should be and it's going to be ordered and we can relax and we can get on and enjoy ourselves. And so it's to this group of people that Jesus is talking to who have this, their own version of this kind of one day story and who are primed with the expectation that Jesus has come along, he's built up a bit of a following, there's quite quite a lot of attention about this guy and what he's doing and what he's saying. There's, there's rumours that this might, be the king, this might be the Messiah, this might be the guy. And it's to this group of people and he, who have this kingdom expectation and they're asking themselves, is this the day? Is this the guy? Is this the kingdom that he's come to bring? And then Jesus tells them this story and it's not a story of God on a big white horse who rides in and fixes all of their problems. He starts to tell them stories about seeds being planted and weeds and wheat to which they're going what that's not the story we want to hear that's not God riding in and fixing everything decisively like we've been promised or like the expectation that we've kind of built up in our mind is going to happen that's not the kingdom we're looking for this is lame like this is this is this is lame this is this is about farming and stuff this is about take things taking time this is about things growing this is not the stuff that we want to hear and Jesus wants them to understand this, this may not be the news you want to hear or the good news you expected to hear, but it is in fact still good news. So one of the problems that Jesus had was that people constantly missed what he was saying and doing because of the expectations that they had built up in their minds about what this day would look like, what this man would look like, what this kingdom would look like. That's why he would often say with his parables, you know, um, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It was like, you, you either hear this or you don't. And you're going to miss this, however, if you have a problem with expectations. And, and what we need to realise is that's sometimes the same for us. We miss stuff because our expectations are either faulty or misaligned. Um, we've built up this idea, this picture, this narrative, this story in our mind about this is the way things are going to be. Stuff happens. We don't see it because it doesn't correspond to that idea that we have in our brain. 
You know, you get that in like marriage, for example. You know, you go into marriage expecting it's going to be a certain way and that person is going to be a certain thing and you find out fairly quickly that marriage is not that thing and that person is not the person you want. You spend the rest of your life trying to change them to make them into the person that you want, yeah? Okay. No? No? Well done, Andrew. You need to do marriage courses. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes we think that we get that sort of expectation. Um, we have it with church as well, you know. People go to church with a certain expectation that everyone's going to be perfect and loving and godly and kind and, wow, it takes about 30 seconds for that one to hit the floor, you know. So it's, it's like, and our expectations can be dashed and the problem is that it's our expectations that are actually wrong. You, I don't know, you sign up to Telstra for internet and you, <laughs> you expect it in real time and you don't know that, that that's not the idea they have and it's carrier pigeons delivering your internet service, you know. So, so you, we, sometimes, you know, life is full of these misaligned and mismatched expectations. And we have the same problem when it comes to, to God. You know, sometimes we build up these ideas or these expectations around God and Christianity and what it's going to mean for us and what it's going to look like in our lives and the lives of those around us and those we love. And I've dealt with so many people over the years as a pastor whose faith has just been um, wrecked, uh, destroyed, um, They've suffered so much disillusionment and so much disappointment because, you know, God didn't fix that thing. He didn't, he didn't heal that person. He didn't change that situation. He didn't deliver where they expected that he would be. And it's, don't get me wrong, it's, it's not like people have plucked these expectations out of the air with no basis. Um, if we're to be completely honest, you know, sometimes the stuff people up the front of churches say implicitly kind of convey the idea that if you know if you kind of give your life to God everything's going to be hunky-dory you know sometimes it's not even implicit it's quite explicit isn't it it's you know if you come to God and you're going to have the best life ever and all your problems are going to be solved you're going to be rich and famous and you know all of this sort of stuff we, we get that sort of stuff so it's not unrealistic that people would have an idea that if you come to God your life is going to be qualitatively better in all sorts of ways and all sorts of problems are going to be solved and fixed in the timing that you would actually want and then we come with that expectation and we find out that's not exactly what happens, you know. Um, we, we don't necessarily get better. Things don't fall into our place. Our workplace doesn't get better. Our finances, we still struggle in that area. We're not, we, we're not overcoming the things that we think we should have overcome in the time that we think we need to overcome them in, okay. And this canon does happen. And, you know, what, what I want to say is sometimes God does act decisively. Sometimes God does do miracles and breakthroughs, you know. But when we hear those things as kind of the norm, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. I think they're the exception, not the rule. Um, and I hope that doesn't offend too many people. But I know God can and does do miracles and he does do breakthroughs. And I'm, you know, praise God for those times. But it's not the norm. The norm, the way God works is in, through the normal course of events and, and processes. And it's not always a quick thing. It's certainly not the story that Jesus tells us. It's certainly not the thing, the expectation that Jesus wants to build up in our mind. Jesus says that when the kingdom comes, when this thing that you've been expecting actually gets here, when God gets involved in your life, we are still going to have to live in the tension of the way the world is and the way we hope the world or wish the world would be. He actually says, The enemy came and sowed weed among the wheat. The enemy came and sowed seed among the wheat. The wheat and the weeds 
are growing up together. The bad and the good are occupying the same place. Satisfaction and discontent are standing side by side. Okay, Joy and sorrow are intertwined in this. Peace and anxiety cohabitate. Gain and loss are sitting at the same table. And if you're waiting for the day in this life when that is never true, then you are actually waiting in vain. No matter how much wheat, no matter how much good stuff you've got going on in your life, there are always going to be weeds. There are always going to be weeds in our life somewhere, okay? There will always be the tension of how the world is and how we want it to be. Now, we could also flip that on its head, okay? And I think this is what Jesus wants us to understand in this. This is what we need to take away from this. That no matter how many weeds we've got growing in our life, there is also wheat. In the middle of all this bad stuff that might be going on for us, or in the midst of this bad stuff that might be going on for us, there is also an incredible good stuff going on for us as well. There is great stuff going on for us as well. In the middle of the grief and the confusion and the joy and the loss and the failure, all the stuff that comes with just being a human living this life, okay, is also joy and peace and success and contentment. It's all there all the time. So Jesus is telling us that this life in the kingdom he speaks of is about experiencing in the midst of things that are not perfect, in the midst of things that are going wrong and are troubling us and are causing us grief and pain and anxiety and lack of sleep. He's talking about experiencing the kingdom in the midst of that, the reality that also exists in that time and place, the reality of God's presence, the reality of God's peace, the reality of God's joy, the reality of God's God's victory, even in the middle of all of that. It's like you're waiting, God's, we're waiting for God to do this. Then, then we will have the peace. We're wanting God to fix that. Then, then we'll be okay. We're wanting God to deal with that person in that time and that place. And then we'll trust him. God is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is saying, listen, in the middle of all of that, you can have both. You can have that stuff going on and it can be a little bit discombobulating and a little bit disconcerting. But you can have all of this stuff as well. This is how the kingdom works. Jesus says the kingdom is already here. And here's what he wants us to understand. With the metaphors that he uses and the analogies that he uses of wheat and seeds and so on, okay? The kingdom is already here. But it works more like a slow cooker rather than a microwave. The kingdom, the process of the kingdom, the growth of the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom, the experiential reality of the kingdom, okay, is that it is actually a slow burn. We want it now. When there's a problem in our life, we want it fixed and we want it fixed now. When there's a difficulty, we want it fixed now. Don't we? Or is that just me? Okay, because you're all liars if you say no, okay? We want it now, but the kingdom is a slow burn. Look what he says. The owner's servants come to him and they say, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where are the weeds coming from? The owner says, The enemy did this. So the servants ask, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Right? Don't pull them up. Because while you're pulling the weeds up, you might uproot the the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my... You can just hear the crowds when Jesus is telling this story. When he gets to that bit where he says, where the the servants come to the owner and they say, do you want us to pull up the weeds? They're going, yes! We want you to pull up the weeds. We want you to pull up the weeds. Get rid of the Romans. Fix it. Give us that peace we were promised. Give us that kingdom on earth that we've been promised. And that we were, yes, pull up the weeds. You know, when so 
It's the same with us, isn't it? Do you want me to pull up the weeds? Yes, I want you to pull up the weeds. I want you to vaporise that guy, you know? I want you, to, I want you to fix that financial problem. God, you know, does God, I don't know if God vaporises people, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> you know, I, I want you to solve that problem. I want you to solve it now. Of course I want it now. I want to get on with my life. I want to enjoy my life. I don't want this hanging over my head. I don't want to deal with this tension. I don't want to deal with this stuff. Of course I want you to pull up the weeds. But the owner in this story, who I guess for all intents and purposes is the God character, he says, no, I don't want you to pull them up. I want you to leave them. And I, in other words, it's, this is important. This is not your problem. This is not your problem. I will deal with this later. Now, just an aside, there's a kind of end of times, eschatological thing to that, that one day God will sort everything out, work it all out, he'll do what is right, he'll sort stuff out. That's, that is actually what is going to happen. But in the meantime, more importantly, just to come back to that thing about no, you don't do this, I'm actually going to take care of it because how much of our time is taken up by trying to fix things all the time rather than simply enjoy things, yeah? <laughs> we, pulling weeds is exhausting stuff, okay? And it's kind of counterproductive in terms of your spirit and your mindset and we'll talk about that just at the end in a minute. But so many of us are kind of that way focused. So, you know, if I, if God's not going to do it, then I'll do it. And I will dedicate my time and energy to fixing problems rather than enjoying my life. Now, I'm not advocating <laughs> irresponsibility. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying deny the, the problems. I'm not saying don't deal with things as they come up. But there's a difference between being sort of fixated and focused on problems and trying to fix them before you can move on and enjoy things. And there's this sense in which Jesus is saying to, to us, no, you need to let things be with God sometimes and just get on and enjoy this other stuff. Instead of acting quickly and decisively as we want him to, God plants seeds. What a strange thing to do. He doesn't uproot things, he plants seeds. We want God to fix a relationship now, we want God to fix the finances now, we want the temptation and pain gone now, we want to be a whole lot further along than we are now, but God plants Seeds, seeds which grow slowly, but grow surely. You know what that means for us in practical terms? It means there is no room for beating ourselves up or for giving up just because we're not where we think we should be by now. Yeah? That's what that means. There is no room for beating ourselves up or giving up just because we are not where we think we should be and our world is not the way we think it should be now. Because seeds have been planted that slowly but surely are going to come to fruition if we stay faithful. Jesus profoundly disappoints a lot of people with these stories because they, like us, we're, we're looking for quick fixes. But he's offering us a slow burn it's not the news we want to hear, but it's actually still good news. But when Jesus says things like, the kingdom, this kingdom that you've been expecting, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is in you, he's not saying that later on and one day, it, what he's saying is, it's, I know it's not yet, but one day it will be. But in the meantime, you need to understand that that kingdom, that, you're, that thing you're waiting for, it is actually in you. It's not down the track. It's not around the corner. It's not after a whole range of things. 
It is actually in you right now. That good that you want, that breakthrough you're looking for, that, that life that you're looking for, the seeds of these things are already present in your life. And yes, there are going to be weeds planted along the way. And yes, it's going to be in the midst of the good and the bad and the tension and the good and the bad all the time. But there is this kingdom seed in you that is taking shape and taking root now. And that's the thing you need to focus all on. In the middle of this tension, trust the seed. You know, look, I don't know how it is for you guys, you know, but there are times where your life is just not going that great sometimes. There's a whole range of issues, a whole range of of problems, but then you get these kind of spotlights, these, these kind of flecks of light, these kind of things where you have a moment of joy, you have a moment of peace, you, you, you see something as being a possibility that you didn't previously see before. You, you're not worrying about something, there's a joy that comes into your life that, that doesn't actually fit with your sit- current situation. Has anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know? That's, that's the seed. That's the kingdom. That's not an anomaly. That's the reality. That's the reality, that thing. And what Jesus is saying to us is you can trust that seed. You can trust that joy because although it's not yet full, it is coming. You can trust that hope because al- although it has not yet been realized, one day it will be. You can trust that joy that you're feeling right now because it is coming along the way. Trust the seed. Don't dismiss it like that's some sort of anomaly or an aberration. Oh, I must have just forgot for a second that I've got a horrible life and everything's going wrong. Now, you know, come back to... Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Adrian. I broke the microphone. Um, come back to reality. It's like, no, 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 that is your reality. Your reality is this combination. Yes, there's this other stuff going on, but that stuff that you just had, then that experience, you just had that insight, that feeling, that sense of something, that sense of peace that you just had, that's real. God is in this. He told you not to worry about it because he's actually on the case. (coughs) Trust that seed. In Philippians 1.6, Paul writes to this kind of fledgling church in Philippi, and they're having all sorts of struggles and pressures themselves. He himself is in prison when he writes this. And he says, There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Jesus Christ appears. I think the NIV says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. That thing that started in you, God will bring it through to the point of completion. Yes? Yes. That's a promise from Scripture, okay? What God starts, he finishes. That seed is going somewhere. It might take its time, but it is growing. So let me finish with just a couple of things to ponder as we walk away from this. One of the things we should take away from this and the story we need to tell ourselves about this seed that is growing, even though it's amongst the weeds and we experience that tension, is that we must enjoy the now. You know, I'm one of those people that find it very hard to relax if things aren't ordered, right? So if I'm going to... If, if it's been a Saturday, like, I want to I relax, but I have to clean the house first. The dishes have to be done. It's like everything has to be done. The washing has to be done. It all has to be done. Then, when everything's in order, then I can relax. Does anyone hear me? Can I get an amen from some people? Yeah. Let's hang out after and, like, you know, whinge and complain about the other people, all right? Okay. It's, it's like, seriously, I've got to have it in order, in, in order 
To relax, I have to have order. That's just the way it is. And that is a metaphor for my life. You know? So by six o'clock... <laughs> by six I'm ready to cook dinner and start again. No, it's... But it does, it, 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 you extrapolate that out into my life overall and it's, there's not a thing in my life that is perfectly ordered where there's not an issue, where there's not something going wrong. So sometimes, this is the truth, I find it very, very, very hard to relax. I find it very hard to enjoy things because I'm always thinking about the things that need to be resolved and need to be done. Now, I realise that for some of us like me, it's really hard to just enjoy the now and to enjoy the blessing, and to enjoy what's right in front of you and around you and the good in your life. It's very hard. For some of us, that's hard. For some of us, some people, it's a lot easier. I'm married to someone who can just enjoy the now and is constantly badgering me to enjoy the now. And I can't enjoy it because you're badgering me. Okay? <laughs> so you may, you may have a way to go in whatever it is, whatever road you're on right now, but but you can still in, stop for a little while, pause and enjoy. Enjoy the now, okay? Things may still be up in the air at the moment. There's a lot of uncertainty and confusion around you, but, but take time to take stock of what you have and appreciate what you actually have in the moment. That thing is st still not resolved right now, but there is actually amazingly good things around you all the time and you just need to see them. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Anyone know that song? I don't. Um, <laughs> set you up, didn't I? Right. So enjoy the now. Secondly, what you focus on, you will see. We used to have a combi, an actual combi. We were so cool. Mustard, <laughs> mustard coloured combi. Okay. <clears throat> Indian cotton curtains. It was awesome. Um, now, I'd never noticed combis before until I bought a combi. And after I bought a combi, guess what I saw everywhere on the road? Combies! Combis everywhere. And there's a thing about combi drivers, we wave to each other. It's like, because we're in the in crowd. You know, we get it, you know. Um, now, I'm sure there were always combis on the road. I just never saw them because I wasn't tuned in to combis. And it's like that in, in life. It's what we're looking for, we're going to see. What we're tuned into, that's what we're going to see. And there is no shortage of weeds in your life to be seen. There is no shortage of weeds and problems in people and places wherever you are. You do not have to look far to find problems. But if you're looking for them, that's all you're going to see. That is all you are going to see. And that has an effect on you. Everyone loves to be around someone who can only see problems. Yeah? Because you are the life of the party, aren't you? You're the happy pill. <laughs> I'm so glad Adrian's here. He's going to tell me everything that's wrong with this. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? You're a miserable git and you bring everyone else down. You are, as you've heard me say, the person who brightens a room by leaving it. All right? <laughs> but that's what happens to you. If you only look at bad things, all you will see is bad things. And they're there to be seen. But it will not make you a happier person. It will not make you a more peaceful person. It will not solve anything either. It will not change those situations. It will just make you negative. Now, I'm not saying deny the reality of bad things. 
We, they're there. I'm not saying live in denial. I accept there's, there's always stuff going on. But there's a difference between acknowledging the reality and focusing on a thing. Yeah? And I'm saying be careful what you focus on. Paul comes up with some brilliant advice to the Philippians again in 4, 8 and 9. And he says, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best. I say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true and noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not to curse. Put into practice what you have learned from me. So this was Paul's practice as well. What you heard and saw and realized, do that and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Okay? That's what Paul says. And in fact, if you look into this, into the Greek, it is actually about the way the thoughts affect our being. And he's saying, you want, to, you want to know peace and you want to know the God of peace and you want to be peace, then you need to think on these things because that's how you get there. If you think about this stuff, that's what you will become. But you think about this, you become that, you and God in harmony, one, peace, joy. You're the sort of person that people want to be around. You choose over here and you'll be hanging out with me all the time. All right? In our lonely, critical corner. All right. Thirdly, I mean, I can't help it. There are both physiological reasons and I imagine some environmental reasons for that for me. One, my blood group is B negative. <laughs> it's not my fault. I don't have a choice. You cut me, I bleed negative, okay? <laughs> it's... Keep telling yourself that, Adrian. Anyway, this is it, my last point, all right? Whatever you water will grow. When we're talking about weeds and weeds, I want to hang on with this horticultural, agricultural kind of metaphor. Whatever you water will grow. We had a problem many, many years ago with our yard. It was fundamentally our front yard, fundamentally weeds. And I thought, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to get some weed killer. And so I got some weed killer. And I kid you not, this stuff must have been made from the byproducts of Fukushima and Chernobyl because <laughs> it was scorched earth out there. I mean... Plants within a 10-mile radius died. Birds would fly over and fall from the sky. It was just, it was a nightmare. It was just, I killed everything. And my next-door neighbour, um, Frank, a Maltese guy, he had a weed problem too. But he, I said, Frank, what are you doing for weeds? And he goes, I just water the grass. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, if you water the grass, it strangles out the weeds. I thought, there you go. <laughs> That's, pro that's profound, Frank. I'm going to use that in a sermon. And, but it's true. If you, what you water will grow. And if you water the wheat, if you water the grass, weeds only grow where there's bare, patchy crap. You know what I mean? That's, that's it. You water the good stuff in your life, the other stuff starts to be strangled out. Well, at least it starts to come into perspective. It doesn't always necessarily go, but you begin to strangle out the weeds that are robbing... Yeah, I'm going to fall over too. Um, you begin to strangle out the weeds, okay? So we not only need to look for the good, we have to own it. We have to, we have to name it. We have to speak it out and we have to nurture it and we have to protect it. So when, when those really well-meaning people come along to tell us how horrible you are and life is and everything it is, we need to be able to hear that stuff and let it wash over us and go back to going, no, but I'm now going to speak out the good. 
I'm going to talk about the good that's in my life. I'm going to talk about the blessings that I actually have. I wish I'd, I did this a lot better, but one of my practices at night now, and, and I've got to do this, is I just go to bed and I just thank God, I say, thank you that I've got a bed to sleep in tonight. I've got a roof over my head, I've got a full stomach, and I've got a family that loves me. I'm ahead of the game from a lot of people, okay? Just, it's just simple things, but we have to not only see it, we have to name it, we have to protect it, we have to nurture it, the good things that God is doing in our life, because what we give our time and our energy and attention to, that's the stuff that's going to grow. And I want to give the time and energy attention to the good seed that God has planted in my life and the way it expresses itself and manifests itself all around me. I was thinking about this, and I'm finished now. That's not just a word for us individually, that's a word for us as a church as well. You know, we're never going to be problem-free, ever, because you people are here. <laughs> but, but the kingdom is springing up in all sorts of ways. Powerful, powerful ways. And we will continue to have people problems and money problems and building problems and you name it. We're always going to have those problems. Never let us be a church that gets fixated on the problems. Let us fix our eyes on the seed of the kingdom that it, God is growing up here at a rate of knots. Amen? That's, that's a word for the church. Anyway, we're going to go into communion now. I want to take time to focus on this because, you know, when Jesus hung on that cross, he said, it is finished. Even though there was still a ways to go in terms of, in, in terms of the reality of his work being, finding its expression in, in the world and in people's lives, he said, it's finished, it's done. And I want to say that to you, when you take communion today, thank God for the finished work of Jesus that is already in your life that will one day come to full fruition. Even if you're struggling to see that at the moment, focus on one or two things and thank God that it is finished and it will be done. Amen? Amen. Let's go and take communion at the sides and at the back and then we'll get the, the guys are up. Great, thank you.